Our scripture this morning comes from Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, I, uh, I want to ask you guys uh, help uh, for something this morning. I, I need a little participation. I want you to uh, put on your imagination hats with me. Look at the people around you. Uh, look to your left, your right. And I want you to picture those people, if you would, all of them, um, wearing the little 1980s tight running shorts that that are like up to here and and tank tops, okay? Maybe not a great picture, uh, but stick with me. Imagine all of us are at the starting line of a race, okay? And uh, we're, you know, bouncing up and down, warming up, stretching a little, and uh, we get the, we get, yeah, headband maybe, uh, maybe a little red, white, and blue uh, sweatband around the head. That's really going back. Uh, and we get the call. We, we start to crouch down. We position our feet. The gun goes off. We take off in a rush, all of us running forward at a sprint and legs pumping and uh, breathing hard. Uh, you feel strong and the, the wind is at your back and, and we're all surging forward together. And somewhere along the way, you just start to get tired, Right? And your legs start to hurt, and your lungs are burning, and now you've got a cramp in your leg and a stitch in your side, and uh, it's not fun now. It feels like some kind of torture that you've signed yourself up for, for no really good apparent reason. Some people have dropped out. Some people have run past you, maybe even elbowed you out of the way to, to get around you. And there's no finish line anywhere in sight. And now you're running uphill into the wind. What do you do? How, how do you push through? Or do you push through in spite of the pain? Or, or maybe you say, you know what, this is, this is just not worth it. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, last Sunday we celebrated Jesus' victory over sin and death and hell. It's the highlight of the year for us as followers of Christ. It's it's full of excitement and music and and noise and rejoicing and trumpets and bright colors and awesome food and friends and family. And it's kind of this spiritual and physical and emotional high. But the Christian life is not a 100-meter dash. It's a marathon. It's not always full of exciting, you know, rejoicing on the top of the mountain. Because most of life is just full of ordinary days. We were just putting one foot in front of the other. How do we sustain the pace when life isn't exciting? When there isn't like the immediate emotional feedback? Because honestly, sometimes... For some people, our commitment lasts only as long as the feeling, and, and we just look for one experience after the other to you know, kind of keep ourselves on this emotional high. 
And when that begins to fade, so does our interest, our commitment. And for others, sometimes when following Jesus gets hard, when a crisis hits, when, when we get attacked, giving up, finding an easier path looks really attractive. So how do we develop spiritual endurance? We've come out of this moving experience of Good Friday and Easter, and now we're back to the reality of everyday life with stresses and pressures and expectations and due dates and timelines and deliverables, and, and sometimes it feels like more responsibilities than rewards. So how do we find the strength to continue what we've started, to endure, to finish? And we're looking at a group of people in a very similar circumstance in this book of Hebrews. These first century believers had started out really well. The writer, remember, at one point says, in those early days, you remained faithful to Jesus even when it cost you something. But now, things have gotten hard. And there's a temptation maybe to quit, to turn their backs on Christ. So the author pleads with them not to do that, not to give up, not to go back to an old life, not to look for something that seems easier. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 this morning, and if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles, uh, grab that black pew Bible in the seat in front of you, or turn in your Hebrews journal, or open up your electronic device, whatever you use to access God's Word. We're continuing in our series, Greater. We're in this last section of Hebrews now, looking at a greater faith, how Jesus built greater faith in us, and how Jesus is better how he is worth it. And the passage that we're looking at has great encouragement and help, I think, for us in how we persevere, how we can have longevity, how we can endure in following Christ. So what does God have to say to us? Look in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so the therefore again is, meant to ask us, what's the therefore, therefore? It's pointing us back to something. There's this great crowd of people who have gone before us, remember, that we saw in chapter 11. Now, get get this image. They are not spectators in the stands. They're not just sort of up there watching. They are runners themselves who have finished the race. They're they're also wearing the the tight shorts and the tank tops. They, They have crossed the finish line. It's almost like a Uh, they've handed off the baton to us and they're at the finish line and encouraging us to finish our course, to finish our leg of the race. And they're saying, come on, don't give up. I made it by faith and you can too. Because back in chapter 11, remember, we saw this long list of people who lived by faith in God and some of them ruled kingdoms and administered justice and shut the mouths of lions and quenched the power of the flames and Others were mistreated and ridiculed and persecuted and suffered. Some were called to go to foreign lands and lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. But all of them were still living by faith when they died, the writers said. Remember, they didn't receive what was promised. And that's an important reminder for us. Just because they followed God, it didn't mean they were going to have a life of comfort and success and prosperity. Their faith often meant sacrifice and hardship. Now, in some churches, the preacher may say something like, can I get a witness? 
And, and what that kind of means is, does anyone understand what I'm talking about? Can anyone testify to the truth of what I'm saying? And the people will raise their hands and nod their heads and say, Amen, come on. That's right, come on. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. He's, he's pleading with these people and he's challenging them and he says, Can I get a witness? Who here can testify about finding the strength to find faithful even when it's difficult? And, and all these faithful people in Hebrews chapter 11 step forward and say, Amen. I followed God for 80 years. It was hard, but man, was it worth it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You can do it too. I think the writer is saying, I endure by looking back, by looking back to those who have gone before. That's what he's saying, right? That's this, this testimony of all these people in Hebrews 11. When you feel yourself drifting spiritually, you can read about David's passion for God. When you're afraid to obey God, you don't make, it doesn't make sense what he's asking you to do. You, we're reminded of Abraham's willingness to, to go to the extreme and sacrifice everything in order to follow God, trusting Him for the outcome. When you feel like you're the only one you know around you that's following Jesus. You look back to Elijah, and you're encouraged that he wasn't alone. And God says, I'm with you, and, it, and, and, and you're not in this by yourself. They are witnesses to perseverance in the life of faith. And those saints remind us as well that we are part of them. Remember what we saw at the end of chapter 11 last week. They didn't receive what was promised because God had something better in mind for us. That apart from us, they would not be made perfect. In other words, the final completed work of all of God's saints will not happen without everyone finishing the race. Without us, you see. So run the race. Persevere. Labor to reach the world with the good news of Jesus, carry on the mission that God has entrusted to us because that great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on, who have finished the race, they're not going to be glorified until we cross the line with them. When all the runners cross the finish line, all will receive the prize and all will be glorified together in one great family. We're part of what God was doing through them. And that means we're not going to be left out either. They finished, we can finish. To endure, I look back to those who have gone before. So I think one of the things that means for us is I need to hang around with men and women who have a passion for God. Who do you know that has a strong love for Jesus? You look at that person and you say, man, I... I admire that person's faith. I, I'm, I'm attracted to their love, to their kindness, to their faithfulness. It makes you want to grow in your love, in your kindness, in your faithfulness. Is there a name that comes to mind as you, as you think about people like that? If you want to grow in love for God, hang around people who are full of love for God. If you need encouragement in trials... Connect with people who have gone through hard things and are still walking with Jesus. I want you to take a moment and jot down an answer to this. What godly person can strengthen me in my race?
Who is it as you look around? Maybe at Faith Church, maybe, maybe an author, maybe, uh, who knows? Somebody maybe not even living, some, somebody who's already finished the race, but their writings endure, their, their message endures. What godly person can strengthen you in your race? And look at this next phrase, he says, then, then let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so, clings so closely, or in some translation, the sin which so easily entangles us. About 15 years ago, a man completed what was at that time the slowest marathon in world history. Lloyd Scott finished the London Marathon in five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. Now, if you think about running, especially distance running, you know that the goal is to get rid of as much weight as possible. You know, runners will look for a shirt that weighs a half an ounce and shorts that weigh an ounce and shoes that are like maybe three ounces. Lloyd Scott wore an old diving suit weighing 130 pounds and one of those metal helmets with the windows in it that weighed 18 pounds by itself. Now, there was a reason for this. Lloyd Scott was a former leukemia patient, and he did this as a publicity event to raise awareness and funds for cancer and leukemia sufferers. He told the New York Post, I decided to wear the diving suit because it is quite simply the worst thing that anyone could run a marathon in. But that's the way some of us are running our race with Jesus. We're in the race We may finish, but we're making it harder on ourselves than it needs to be. We're weighted down with things that are hindering us, that are holding us back. If I'm going to finish well, I will endure by looking in at my own life. The writer turns the look to us now. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which entangles, which clings to us. I need to let go of what is ungodly. I need to let go of sin. And sometimes there's sins that we're just holding on to. Some of you know that there are areas in your life that need to change. And it's probably true for all of us. As we read God's word, as we're in a small group, we we come to worship service like this. The Holy Spirit points out something that is not right, something that does not line up with what is pleasing to God, with who he saved us to be in Christ. And for some of us, maybe you're even feeling a little uncomfortable right now because you know exactly what it is. It's wrong, it hinders your growth, and because God loves you, he will not let you rest until you deal with it. Is there some area right now that God is bringing to your attention? Maybe some kind of an addiction. Maybe it's a dishonest business practice. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's just a hard heart towards other people, an ugly, angry attitude. Maybe it's just selfishness. I want everything to go my way. Everything should arrange itself to suit me. God says, get rid of it. Let me help you get rid of it. Because it's going to trip you up. It's damaging you. It's damaging people around you. I need to get rid of what is ungodly, and then I need to let go of what is unnecessary, too. And this is a little more subtle, but because it's not something that's 
obviously sinful, not necessarily some kind of a moral compromise, but something that's just slowing us down in our spiritual progress. I don't know what that is, but I know for me, for a lot of us, often our lives are just so full that, that it feels like we're constantly saying, man, I just can't find the time to, you know, to, to really be alone with the Lord, to dedicate myself to His Word. I, I don't have any energy. You know, I, there's just too much. I'm too busy. There's too much going on. Maybe it's we have our kids in too many sports and activities, and, and like every hour is crammed. Maybe it's hours wasted on our phone or, or playing video games or, or browsing social media or in front of the TV. You know, I, I want to tell myself it's something spiritually enriching like, you know, Cardinals baseball, obviously. I'm waiting to hear some boos from the Cubs fans. Listen to what Paul writes to his protege, Timothy. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And all of us, man, we, we even carry around little devices in our pockets that help us fill our lives with things that are interesting and amusing and informative and often ultimately irrelevant. To persevere over the long haul in the race, we've got to get rid of things that just don't matter. Things that weigh us down, things that trip us up. So maybe take a moment and think about this as you would fill this in. To endure, I need to let go of what? What is it for you? What in my life is making it harder for me to follow God? And then the end of verse 1, he says, let us run with endurance, with perseverance, the, the race that is marked out from us, for us, sorry. Anyone here ever been tempted to quit? Yeah, of course, absolutely. You're, you're all ashamed because you're going to quit on raising your hand in worship. Sometimes it can feel like you've just been running and running, and you're tired. You're worn out. You're out of breath. Can I ever get a break? Your side hurts, and you just, you just want to quit. Maybe you're tired in ministry, worn out in a relationship, discouraged by a, a habit, that you just can't seem to overcome, tired of things never seeming to get better. And giving up would be the easiest thing in the world, and sometimes it's even hard to see a reason why you should keep going. But you still do it. And if you're not going through hard times now, you will. Because there will be dark days and deep valleys. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Amen. There's going to be circumstances you can't explain. And times when God seems distant. And that is not the time to decide, am I going to follow Jesus or not? Commit yourself in advance that you're going to be steadfast and immovable and keep trusting and following Christ no matter what. Now, this doesn't mean, for example, like, okay, I'm serving in some ministry and I just, you know, I have to keep doing it because if I don't, it won't get done or, you know, I'm just burned out or whatever. That's not the point. But I want you to think about this statement. I know God wants me to keep on doing what? There's some things that we know we need to keep on doing and persevere in and we're tempted to give up. Maybe I've been praying for this lost family member and it doesn't seem to make any difference. Maybe I keep trying to look for opportunities to witness to my neighbor and it just it seems unresponsive. I mean, 
What is it that you know God wants you to keep doing? You're tempted to quit. I know God wants me to keep on. Ed Welch says, Don't expect health, wealth, and prosperity. Expect comfort and hope during trouble. And expect strength during trials. So how do I do that? How do I find the strength and the encouragement to to keep on? Look at what the writer says in verse 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And again in verse 3 he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. Look to him. Now, it might be easy. In fact, it's probably natural for us to hear these encouragements, this challenge. Endure, persevere, press on, don't give up. And think that obeying and finishing the race is all on our shoulders. Right? Yes, we are responsible to obey, to follow, to, to run as God empowers us. But Jesus is the one who empowers us. And that's the whole point here. He's telling us to look to Jesus as the pioneer, as the author, as the perfecter of our faith. So what does that mean? Well, first, Jesus is the one who has laid the foundation of our faith from start to finish. That's what it means, that he's the the author, the, the pioneer. He pioneered by enduring the cross and despising its shame, and he has perfected by sitting down triumphantly at the right hand of God in glory. So that our work, the work that needs to happen for us is complete. And second, he has given us a perfect model of what it looks like to live by faith from start to finish. He trusted and obeyed his father from the beginning to the very end of his earthly life. And it's not because he had some secret insider power, right? Sometimes we sort of think, oh yeah, Jesus could do that because he's God. He's human, He's empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit just as we are. And Jesus' life is important, not just because he lived sinlessly, but because he's showing us what we can be like in the power of the Spirit. Jesus is showing us this is the life that that you can live, that I'm inviting you to experience. And that's the third thing we need to know that's even more important, that he is the sustainer of our faith from start to finish. He is the perfecter of it. In, in other words, he's the one who completes it. That's that wonderful word in Greek, that telos. He is the one who makes it what it ought to be. He is the one who brings it all together and makes it happen. God who began a good work in you will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He is the one who is at work in you to will and to do according to his good purpose. I endure by looking up to Christ. Thirdly, I endure by looking up to Jesus. Now I know, right? It sounds spiritual. All I just need to do is keep looking to Jesus. But how do I do that? What does that actually look like in my everyday life? Well, first of all, I think we need to recognize it's not going to happen by accident. That word look, consider there, it means to fix your eyes on, to concentrate, to give attention to, to keep thinking about. Our life is a race, but we're not going to develop intimacy and connection and endurance through Jesus while we're on the run all the time. 
We live in a multitasking world, right, where we're constantly trying to do two or three or five or ten things at once. We're listening to music and writing a paper and watching a video and talking to someone. No, you're not doing any of those things well. You're doing all of them at 5%. I mean, we live in a world where we take our cell phones into the bathroom and have conversations. That is not the place you need to be multitasking, okay? One thing at a time. We want quick and convenient and efficient right? We don't like it when it's quiet and silent and there's nothing happening. Even 15 seconds of silence in a worship service somehow makes us like anxious. Something should be happening. And I think we're we're spiritually frustrated because all the hurry, all the activity, all that we think we need to do, it drains us. Eugene Peterson writes this, I think with a lot of insight. There's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of character and virtue. Our whole life is a marathon. Our whole life is a long-distance race, and Jesus was never in a hurry. Did you ever notice that in the Gospels? It's fascinating. I get hurried and stressed out so easily sometimes. Look at Jesus' life in the Gospels. You never get the sense that he's like stressed out and rushed and worried about getting to the next thing and, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? And oh, and why? I think partly it's because he always made time to be with the Father so that he would be ready for everything that would happen in that day. If we're going to keep our focus on Jesus, if we're going to endure, we're going to have to slow down long enough to be with him to follow his pattern, and to learn from him. I mean, being intentionally with Jesus not only helps us grow, but it nourishes our souls. And I think then we find ourselves less stressed and less discouraged and less tossed about by everything that happens in our day. Last week, uh, it was in an email exchange. I mean, it was nothing bad. It was just... A difficult situation I was trying to work through with somebody else and communicating, hey, here's some things that didn't work out right and there's some issues we need to address. And, and the email I got back made, kind of made me feel like I, I really wasn't heard. And, and like the response was just kind of, no, I didn't do anything wrong and, and here's why you're not right and, and what happened. And, uh, and there, it felt like, you know, I, Email is not really, this person's not really engaging with the concerns that I hear. There's nobody in this room, so don't worry. Quit looking around. Um, <laughs> and, and my response to, to feeling like this is not, there's, there's like we're stuck. This, I'm not being heard, and so we can't resolve anything. It was stress and frustration and, and discouragement. And I felt unsettled, and I didn't know what to do or how to fix it. You know, sometimes, maybe it's just me, but, you know, then I start composing three or four different emails in my head, right, of how I'm going to set them straight and correct all the things that they got wrong and point out the stuff that they overlooked, and, and then I toss and turn over it, and, and this time I, I realized I'd just been reading in Proverbs 3 that morning, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So I stopped and I, I just calmed myself down and I prayed that about that situation. I just prayed those verses. God, help me to experience this. I don't know what to do here. 
I need your wisdom. I, I don't want to run ahead. I don't, wanna, I don't want to you know, do this in my own understanding. God, give me understanding. Give me wisdom. And I, you know, that thing hasn't been resolved yet, but I was more peaceful. I felt less stressed because I was trying to focus on Jesus in the middle of you know, this thing I was tempted to get all obsessed about and, and need to make something happen. We run the race in the strength that God supplies, so that means I need to keep connected to God who is the supply of my strength. So I keep looking to Jesus. So think about how you would answer this. I want to spend time with Jesus by what? By doing what? If I need to look to Jesus in order to endure, what is that going to look like in my life? Maybe, maybe it's a specific time that, that you carve out and you just protect with absolute ruthlessness to say, I'm dedicating that time to be with Jesus and I'm going to protect it from any interruption and any distraction. Maybe you mark off a time to do that with your family so that you're pursuing Jesus together and growing together. We run the race with endurance by looking up to Jesus. And then in the end of verse 2, who Jesus is and what he has done is the ultimate thing. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, there's an interesting linguistic thing going on here that the uh, for the joy for him could also be rendered as despite the joy before him. In other words, Despite the joy of heaven and the glory of being in the Father's presence was willing to come to earth and be incarnated and take up the cross. But the outcome is the same either way. Jesus is the one who keeps the eternal perspective. He looks beyond the suffering and the shame of the cross and the difficulty to the joy that is his because of his completed work. He knew that he would be united with all those he has come to save and redeem. He knew that he would be in the Father's presence again, surrounded by glory and joy. Jesus finished the race marked out for him because on the other side of the finish line is unending glory and the smile of our heavenly Father who loves us. The last thing is I'm going to endure by looking ahead, by looking ahead to the joy that God holds out for us. We're running a race, and sometimes we can't see the finish line ahead of us because it's just hard, and we're going through a difficult time. And the writer is saying we need to lift up our eyes and look to the finish line to remind ourselves of what we're heading towards. When life gets hard, when the race is tiring, you look up and, and you see the Father's smile. And Jesus cheering you on and encouraging you and, and internal joy and glory at the end because you know that this life is not all there is. This life is not the end of the story. You know that you were created to live in God's love and live for God's glory and purposes and that God is pleased. Our Father smiles as we endure and that one day, one day, we will cross the line and hear, well done, well done, 
good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And some of you maybe are going through hard times right now, and it's easy to wonder, where is God in all this? Is it worth it? And the writer of the Hebrew says, don't give up. Keep going. It is worth it. Keep one eye fixed on the prize. The writer says, look past the obstacle to the joy, the glory, the life, the perfection that is ours. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God has not just called us in this life. He has called us ultimately to be with Him eternally. Look at this last blank to fill in. I can endure because someday, someday, what? What is it the end that helps you endure? The, the resurrection of the body, our reunion with those who have gone before, the reign of Jesus on a new earth, the restoration of all things, that this world will be finally what it was meant to be. What is that for you? The pain will be gone. I'll see my loved ones again. I will rejoice with Jesus. I will sin no more. I will finally be what God saved me to be. This world will be redeemed and restored. Work will no longer be frustrating. What is that for you? I will endure because someday that joy set before us will happen. And we get tastes of it now. But one day it's going to be even better. You know, towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he had large crowds following him, and, and yet he knew that many of them were following him because of the food and the miracles. You know, give us blessings, entertain us, show us something amazing. And so Jesus has to remind them that life is more than just food and blessings, and he talks about the cost of discipleship. And no one can be my disciple unless he's willing to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And as these people walk away and they go back to living for the here and now, Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, And what about you? Are you going to leave too? You remember what Peter says? Lord, to whom shall we go? You. You have the words of eternal life. People will hurt you. People will walk away. You'll be let down. I, I said, uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I can promise you two things as your pastor. I will try to love you and I will disappoint and hurt you. Those are absolute guarantees. Because I am fallen and I am not your hope. And that's true for all of us. We will try to love each other and we will disappoint each other. Life will be hard and painful and tiring. The future is uncertain in many ways, it seems to be, and, and frightening. And, and sometimes it all seems overwhelming. And, and we need the encouragement, the endurance, the strength, the vision, the commitment to run the race. 
We need to see Jesus who alone has the words of eternal life. And he offers that life to us, not just someday, but here and now. So that even when it hurts and when it's hard, with your one and only life, follow Jesus. Endure until you reach the finish because we're not just running because of the blessings that God might pour out into our lives. We're not following Jesus for what we can get for him to have our best life now. If we have a good life now, that's awesome, but the best life is to come. Follow Jesus because he is who he says he is, because he is the Lord, the giver of life. He is the Savior, the King. He is our friend. He is our brother. He is our shepherd who leads us to eternal life. So get rid of everything that hinders you, everything that slows you down, everything that would trip you up, and with single-minded devotion, run the race and persevere because of the joy that God has set before you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him all the way to the end. Let's pray together. Lord, the race that you have marked out for us is sometimes difficult. It's often tiring. Lord, help us not to give up. Lord, for those who are weary and tired and discouraged, would you bring strength and fresh hope and encouragement? Help us to do what it takes to stay close to you so that when the feelings fade and and the emotions go up and down, Lord, help us to stay firm in the strength that you provide. Help us to remember and see that you are worth it. We want to persevere to the end. Help us to run the race with endurance to know your joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.